Are you feeling spiritually hungry, but are too full of the things of this world? Tonight, Pastor Sadler shows us how prayer and fasting is the answer. Matthew chapter 5. If you had a child that had been in the first grade for six years, if you need to shave in kindergarten, you've been there a while, okay? I'm just saying. Would you be concerned, would you be concerned about your child having to repeat the first grade six times? What might it indicate? Memory problem, what else? Learning disability. And if they're not advancing what, they're not growing. Now, we understand that about our children in school, but when was the last time we tested our spiritual proficiency? You understand they test students to see if they have the base of knowledge to advance to the next level. In first grade, you learn addition. Second grade, you learn subtraction. Third grade, you learn multiplication. And then fourth grade, you start what we used to call long division. And the reason you don't start with long division is you've got to be able to do addition, subtraction, and multiplication to work a long division problem. There's layers. I'm asking a question. There's no wrong answer. Who in here has tested yourself to see if you are advancing or growing spiritually? Who admits that you probably haven't tested yourself on a base of not... Who admits that something happens after we receive the Holy Ghost if we're not careful? Our growth, our spiritual growth gets stunted. Now, I'm not going to stretch this example too far. What happens to a kid that can drive a car who is over six feet tall in the sixth grade? No, no. Socially, what happens to them? A lot of friends, you think? They're 16, they can drive, and they're in the sixth grade. What's going to happen? Going to make fun of them. They're going to be ostracized. You're too big. What are you doing in here? I mean, they're not going to say it to their face because the 16-year-old is over six feet tall. They're not going to do it to their face, but they're going to be. And sometimes we wonder why we're ostracized. And it can be because we have refused or we've been unable or unwilling to continue to advance and mature. Everybody say amen. It's not God's will that you be saved and unfruitful. It's God's will that you are saved to be fruitful. Fruitful. What happened to the fig tree? He said, oh, you've got beautiful leaves and you're well placed in the vineyard. And you bring shade to my husband and my farmer. No. He said, cut it down. And you remember the intercessory prayer of the, the farmer was, give me one more year to dig around it and to fertilize it and give it what it needs. And then if it's not what? Fruitful. Now, don't we know Jesus was a man who loved people and was kind and saw the best in people and gave them grace and mercy? There's just a handful of incidences where Jesus was not kind and gentle. We know one of them is he cast the money changers. The, you've turned my house of prayer into what? Den of thieves. Other times, he got most angry at the most religious. It was not he was anti-religion. He was anti-hypocrisy. You strain in a gnat and you do what? Swallow a camel. You ever think about that? I loved my great uncle Dewey Kraft, and a good church member saw him sweating in the pulpit. And they didn't have air conditioning in the church, so the man was a farmer. And when you're a farmer, you have farmer answers, amen? If you're a banker, you have banker answers. If you're a painter, you have painter answers. If you're a roofer, you have roofer answers. And the farmer gave a farmer answer. During the week, he hooked up a chicken house fan in the window of the church. And it did create a breeze. And my uncle was preaching and it was hot and he appreciated it till he went to make a big point. 
and that fan shot a June bug right down his throat. Now, imagine June bug. It's, I mean, it's, all you can do is swallow hard. And I said, Unc, what happened? He said, I could feel that thing crawling in my stomach the rest of the sermon. What's your point, Pastor? My point is you can swallow a gnat. Now, June bug is a lot bigger. But you strain a gnat, something that compares, but you'll swallow a camel. In other words, there's a disconnect between what you preach about and then what you actually do. Jesus does not like hypocrisy. Jesus did not like his house being made into a money market instead of a prayer center. And then I want you to get this. And Jesus cursed a fig tree. Cursed a fig tree. He didn't use a bunch of dirty words. But he rebuked it for what? Because it did not produce. And the next time they came by there, what was the fig tree doing? Is withering up and dying. I've said everything I've said this far to make a point. There were things that Jesus adamantly disliked. And he gives us life and he gives it to us abundantly that we may bear some fruit, much fruit. We must be developing and maturing. Everybody say amen. Now, my dad had a desire to have peaches. He loved peaches. But he also was a man on a budget. And so he went down to the farming center that sold plants and trees, and he had enough money to buy a peach tree. We're going to have peaches. We're going to have peaches. We're going to have peaches. And he planted a peach tree, and the first year came and went. The second year came and went. The third year, by this time, it's getting a really large ball. The top, the top of it is getting very big. No peaches, no peaches, no peaches. And my dad was getting this close to cutting it down. And guess what happened? A miracle happened. Our neighbor bought a peach tree and planted it right across the fence. And a peach tree for years that had been unfruitful and was just about to be cut down because now, did you know it takes two peaches? It requires cross-pollination to produce fruit. Did y'all know that? I wish we'd have met y'all sooner because we didn't know that. And all of a sudden, this tree got to where it was loaded with peaches every year. Can I say something? In your life, who you're around or who you spend time with will affect you being fruitful. Who in here admits there's people that have been negatively impacting you sometime in your life? There can be an absence of relationship with God, and without God, it is impossible to be spiritually fruitful. But I promise you, if you draw nigh to him, if you draw close to him, guess what he'll do? But if you want to keep your distance, what will he do? He will let you keep, and you will be unfruitful. Who believes it's the will of God that we be fruitful? that we grow, that we develop. I'm giving you everything that's not in my notes so I can give you what's in my notes. Matthew chapter 5. Anybody know what this passage of Scripture is called? The Beatitudes. But I like to say it this way. The Beatitudes. The way to be. Now, what really initiated me on this school of thought is what were the things that Jesus saw as significant? He talked about a lot of things. He related to a lot of people. He communicated a lot of things. But what were some of the most clear and important things that Jesus stressed? And so over the next few Wednesday nights, we're going to be looking at what Jesus, what his feelings were on very specific things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you look that word filled up there, it really relates to the word fulfilled or complete. Now, do you understand that I can have a little twig and it is a peach tree? Or I can have, and it's a peach tree. You understand the difference? They're both peach trees, but until it reaches its potential, 
is it really going to provide the fruit? I mean, do you have a tomato plant that's this tall that produces tomatoes that are this big? No, because it does not have the infrastructure in it developed to sustain and produce it. Now, I've said all that to say this. I want to talk tonight about prayer and fasting. I probably will spend the majority of the time on fasting. Talked recently on prayer. This Saturday is a great chance to participate in prayer. They go together like bookends. Everybody say amen. You really got to have them both. Okay. But I'll probably spend most of the time about uh, fasting. This text, Jesus emphasized that blessed or those that are going to mature or receive the blessings of God are those that do. Everybody say hunger. Okay. I want to pray, and then we're going to break it down. Jesus tonight, God, anoint me. I'm just a man. I am limited. God, we're just people. We're in the middle of a week. We're trying to survive an energy crisis. We're trying to survive inflation. We're trying just to, to get to the weekend. But even now, Lord, in this moment of time, let us receive a deposit of understanding that comes from you that benefits us, that allows us to be able to grow and mature and be fruitful for the kingdom's sake. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the most basic definition I can give you for fasting is fasting is hungering after God. Hungering after God. That's what fasting is. Now, there are some things you need to be aware of while fasting. We start fasting with platitudes. Oh, it'll do me good. I need to lose a few pounds anyway. It's going to be a great experience. Man, fasting, Woo, let's go, let's do this thing. But who knows that those platitudes erase very quickly. I need to lose weight. Will no longer. Do you know there's easier ways to lose weight than fasting? Who's ever been fasting and you were on board to start with, but now you're having these thoughts in your mind? This is senseless. There's plenty of good food in the refrigerator. Why am I doing this to myself? Who's ever got to the spiritual place? This is the stupidest thing ever. I don't know what pastor's thinking. Where did this idea come from? My Lord, if he knew what I was going through, he would. Anybody here have those thoughts when you're fasting? Can I say it? When you feel the least like it is when it's doing the most good. When you get to that point to where it feels stupid to the flesh, the things of the spirit are enmity or they are the enemies or they are the antithesis of what is good to the spirit. If it is painful to the flesh, it is probably good to the spirit. Not always, but most of the time. That's why it's very dangerous to believe the doctrine, if it feels good, do it. It's usually going to lead you to sin. I will tell you, when you get to that place where you're wrestling and the flesh is screaming and owing, you're getting God's attention. You're getting God's attention. The Bible says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be. God takes a notice when you do that. And guess what? Our enemy, the devil, also stands up and takes notice. And I've told you numerous times, the people that have borrowed money for lunch for years and never paid it back, they get convicted and want to buy you a gourmet lunch on fast day. The stingy people that are always takers and not givers get under conviction and they bring two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and put them in the break room. The devil works in mischievous ways. The reason he puts temptation in our path when we fast is he knows that fasting is physical, but it has a spiritual effect. Hey, fasting don't make you, what? More spiritual, it makes you less carnal. And that way you can hear and yield more readily to the Spirit of God. Now, there is a hormone in the human body and it is called grenoline, grenoline, G-H, grenoline, okay? Do you know what grenoline does in your body? Grenoline makes your stomach growl. It makes your stomach growl. Now, when your stomach growls, what are you usually thinking? Boy, I'm hungry. 
it literally is God-given to trigger you to remember to eat. Now stop and think about that just a second. If you didn't have hunger pangs, how would you know you're hungry? Now, you're thinking, oh, I know when I'm hungry. No, you don't. No, you don't. You may be bored. You may have fidgety fingers. But you would not know you're hungry if Grenolin didn't make your stomach growl and create those hunger pangs. The problem is, and the reason God gave us those hormones that create our stomach to let us know, remind us to eat, is because did you know that if you ignore that, if you had no indicator, it's like that check engine light, our fuel is low signal, you can all of a sudden run out of energy for your body and it can create organ issues and other things. So it is important that we eat and eat pseudo-regularly. As you can tell, I'm eating quite regular. The relevant point for us is I really don't have to try to remember to eat because God puts this indicator in my body. I'm going to ask you, who in here feels like you've got a lot of grenolin? Who's got a lot of grenolin? I'm not by myself in here. I told a guy the other day, I said, man, I just eat a good breakfast to give me enough energy to go eat a good lunch. Well, what do you talk about at lunch? Well, we're going to have dinner, right? I got plenty of grenolin in my system. What I would like to see is us develop an understanding that when we fast, it is a miracle that God causes us to recognize that we are hungry. Now, anybody remember the miracle in the Bible where God caused the sun to stay still and it stayed in the sky and it didn't move until they fought the battle? When you fast, isn't it amazing that God does that same miracle on the wall clock? I mean, you're fasting and you're hungry. What time is it? 9.59. It feels like five hours later. What time is it? One minute later than the last time you ask. Who admits time stands still when you're fasting? But I'm so hungry. My hope tonight is that when you fast, it develops some spiritual grenolin in your system that makes you hungry for God's word and the ability and desire to pray to the one true God, to worship him. Spiritual stomach growling is a prompting of our system to communicate or to be close to God. When we fast, the Bible says that those who hunger, the only other word for hunger there is fasting to do without food. Those who lack food, they shall be filled. But it doesn't say filled with food. There is a spiritual fulfillment when we make the flesh subordinate to the spirit. Who in here knows you have a dual nature? Now, who's greater than the apostle Paul in here? None of us. Paul says, the things I know I should do, I do not, and that that I know I should not do, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He says, I have a, a wrestling in my body. But he also says, I gain the victory, for I am crucified with the Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So when I die out to me, when I mortify the deeds and the desires of the flesh, then I can fulfill the will of God in our life. Admit it, though, that fasting brings us down to a level that we're not living for the moment or for the pleasure or for the entertainment. It causes a shifting in our agenda. Who in here has got an agenda? Some days my agenda is just to live through the day. Sometimes my agenda is just to be at peace with all people. That seems like an impossible task some days, doesn't it? But in reality, all of us have long-term goals and desires. Who has an agenda to go to heaven? But we have an enemy that is seeking to subvert that goal in our lives. And he will do almost anything to get us off track. And what he does is he drops little temptation breadcrumbs... And before we know it, we're following him down a path of unfruitfulness and spiritual immaturity. And then if he can get us alone and begin to affect our thinking, and then he can plan a lie, and we believe a lie. And the Bible says those that are turned over to a reprobate's mind, they literally believe a lie, and they will be damned.
there comes a point that you can row the wrong direction long enough. God will say, you have free will, and I, I release you. If that's what you want to do, I'm going to honor your wishes and let you go. That is a dangerous thing. It is important that we establish fasting in our lives to remind us what is important. Everybody say, what's important? Anybody besides me ever lost what's a priority? Will anybody care about my promotion five years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now? Will anybody care about how big my house was or was not 100 years from now? What kind of car I drove? How I looked and what I wore? No. But we do spend a lot of times on things that really, at the end of the day, add no value and they're not fruitful for our existence. Fasting is a tool. It's really a weapon that God gave us to bring a worldliness and carnality back under subjection. And Paul said, I wrestle. And sometimes you have to remind the flesh that the spirit is behind the driver's wheel. Who admits sometimes we let the flesh drive us? <laughs> okay. And so fasting is a way to be spiritually fulfilled. What I really would love to see is us understand that fasting with prayer uh, causes us to be filled with the righteousness of God. So, are you hungry after God? Anybody hungry after God? Fasting is hungering after God. Everybody wants more of God until I start talking about fasting. And it's like, well, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty satisfied with where I am. Can I tell you what? God uses hunger in us to get us out of our situation of complacency to drive us to new heights, new depths, and new maturity in him. Fasting will motivate you. Second Kings chapter 7 tells a story I've preached from recently, several times actually. And it's about the great city was under siege. And a foreign army had occupied around through disobedience to God, their idolatry. God allowed an enemy to come in and take them under siege. Now, do you know what siege is? They're not battling. They just encamped around their perimeter. They let nothing in or nothing out. They're under siege. So they're in a walled city. And I know they had some resources. They had some pork and beans in a can. They had some chicken of the sea, tuna fish in the pantry. But in a large city, the agrarian, the livestock, the grain, etc., was all outside the city. And at night, they would all come in the city and close the gates would be safe while they slept. So a, a foreign enemy couldn't come and destroy them. But now they're having to keep the gates locked 24-7. And they can't get to any of the resources. They can't go order on Amazon a batch of grain to be delivered because nothing's coming in, nothing's going out. Uber Eats can't get through. Okay. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, here they are under siege. And the Bible tells us uh, that they are so hungry that they're now considering eating things that they would have never considered consumable before. They're actually not only eating things they would have never eaten before, but they're fighting over the opportunity. The Bible says that for 80 pieces of silver, you could get a donkey's head. I've never been to a restaurant where donkey has been on the menu. Thank the Lord. And the donkey's head, they would put in a kettle of hot water. And as it began to boil, it would float to the top. And they would pull the skin off of it. And then after it cooked completely, then they would take something like a spoon and scrape the loose meat. And that was, they were paying 80 pieces of silver and fighting anybody else for the chance. Something they would have never eaten before, they're now eating. Why? Why are they eating it? Because they're extremely hungry. When you are hungry and you have nothing to fill you, you will then eat things you would have never eaten before. And for five pieces of silver, you could get a cup full of dove droppings. Who's been to downtown anywhere where they've got pigeons roosting everywhere? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to have a hot cup of pigeon droppings for five... Who's ever had the impulse, oh, that sounds good? 
No. But can I say, we've never been hungry. You've met the family that argues on Sunday afternoon where we're going to go to eat because nothing sounds good. Obviously, you're not hungry or something would sound good. Because when I'm hungry, and so I've shared the story before about my dad dropping us off to do some work for one of his friends and customers. And they fed my brother and I tuna fish with no mayonnaise in it, with chopped up celery on stale bread and stale sour cream and onion potato chips and a big glass of tab. And do you know what? We were so hungry, we cleaned our plates and asked for more. When you're not hungry, you turn your nose up. But when you're hungry, and do you understand they were so hungry that they were eating things that they would have never normally even considered edible or something that you would consume. Now, I want you to get this, maybe the most important thing I say. See, when you're not filled with the right things, you'll end up eating things that you were never meant to consume. What do you mean, Pastor? Their hunger drove them. When you are not filled with the righteousness of God, but you're hungry for something, but you don't know what is missing, you'll end up consuming things on the Internet. You'll end up consuming yourself in relationships that are not biblical or beneficial. When you're hungry and you're not filled with the righteousness of God, carnality will always have a substitute. I call it junk food because it's junk do you know what makes junk food junk food? Anybody besides me like a Twinkie every now and again? I had not had a Twinkie in forever. They say flies and Twinkies are the only things that will survive a nuclear holocaust. The filling inside of a Twinkie is just one step removed from being plastic. Am I helping some people? Am I turning you off Twinkies? I hope so. Junk food will give you a sugar bump, but it is tasty but it is short-lived. It lasts in your mouth and your stomach just a few minutes. It lasts on your hips the rest of your life. Everybody say junk food. Now, the parallel is sin, sinful things are junk food. It feels good for a while. But the decisions you make that are sin, the wages of sin are death. Some people have made immediate decisions that have long-term consequences. It was just a one-night stand, and now you're a single parent raising a child. You were living in the moment. It felt good at the time. Are you with me? It's junk food. And when you're not filled with the righteousness of God who brings peace and understanding, you will gravitate towards whatever is available. And I watch people on a daily basis. They let entertainment fill that void. They let hobbies fill that void. Let's go to the mountains or the ocean or the lake or let's build onto the house or let's be a part of this club. And they try to find that fulfillment in so many things. And it's only Jesus that will satisfy your soul and when you hunger are you hearing me when you hunger after the things of God the Bible says you will be filled but if you're just hungry and you're not allowing the things of God to fulfill you you will gravitate to other things and they were eating things that were never designed for them to be consuming the Bible says for us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. You got to have it in the right priority. We want to eat a Twinkie and then pray that God turns it into a celery stick. You bless your food to ask God to forgive you in advance for the calorie. I'm using food as a metaphor. We want to do what we want to do, and then we want God to make it all okay. And God said, seek ye first. Those who hunger shall be filled. Seek me first, and I'll add these other things in the appropriate way that you would be blessed and beneficial to the kingdom. Now, 
You remember that same narrative in 2 Kings chapter 7 talks about there were some lepers outside the wall city. Do you understand how bad off they were? Not only were they suffering from the siege, but they were not considered worthy enough to be inside the city. So they're outside, they're outcast, but they're still suffering like the city is. You're talking about not being in a clique, talking about being an outcast. Pretty bad. Do you understand leprosy consumes the flesh? It's the basic rotting of the flesh. When they said their life is falling apart, it was literal. Fingers, digits were falling off. Uh, the end of their nose was now one big sore. They're losing toes and they're wrapped in rags and they're outcast and considered unclean. I love what the Bible says here, though. It says that these lepers are outside the camp, but the Bible goes on to say, but they were so hungry. Do you know the only thing that got them to move from getting away from the walls of the city? They were not accepted there, but they felt some safety by being close or associated. Can I tell you what? There's a lot of people that draw their safety from being associated with the church, but they're not in the church. But I love what these guys did. They were so hungry. One of these guys was an Einstein. I want you to catch this. There were four guys. I think one of them was thinking about a steak. I think another one of them, he was literally, literally dreaming about some coconut cream pie. Mm. The third one was seeing a chocolate glazed cream filled crispy cream donut and a cup of coffee. He sees it. He can smell it. But the fourth guy, Robert, said, hey, guys, are y'all hungry? Well, duh, we're hungry. He said, I got an idea. What's your idea? He says, the Syrians are out here. Tell you what, if we go out there and they keep us alive, we're alive. Duh. That was like a brilliant statement. He says, and if they kill us, we're but dead. We're either dead or alive. Isn't that a great statement? But because they were so hungry, he says, but why set we here until we die? I'm asking, anybody here got any situations in your life that you can't fix? Who's got lost loved ones that you just, you just about give up praying for? You're just weary and will do it. Anybody got situations that you have wrestled with for going on a decade? Anybody got relationship problems that you'd like to see fixed? Backsliders you'd like to see come back in? You would love to have a testimony of a breakthrough spiritually or emotionally? Or... But how long are you going to stay in your comfort zone being close to the city connected to the church with no real result. That's what I'm talking about. Let my people grow fasting, being hungry for the things of God. How many more years are you going to settle for an unsaved spouse or a backslidden child or uh, living in a financial... How long are you going to be happy with the status quo of, of depression or anxiety? How long are you going to endure? Are you going to draw a line and say, I am sick and tired of this and I'm at a point because of hunger I want to get out of my comfort zone let me tell you nothing substantial in your life happens in your comfort zone it's only when you get out of what's comfortable to you and I'll tell you what hunger will make you do things they ate a donkey's head they ate dove droppings it's in the Bible people okay it caused them in a negative way to do things, but what if we turn that same hunger to cause us to do things spiritually that we've never done before? What if we pushed away our plate, not because pastor called a fast, but because we want to see change in our friends, in our family, in our city? In our... Who's ever dealt with a wayward child? Can anything bother you more than a wayward child? You can love them and want to kill them at the same time. Anybody ever been there? Am I by myself? It's, it's almost unbearable. You see him running headlong right for a block wall, and there's not a thing you can, yes, there is something. You can push back your plate, and you can focus on that 
person or that situation or that problem. And I promise you, you push away that plate, you're showing the devil that you're hungry for the righteousness of God to be revealed in you and through you. And not only will you get God's attention, you will get Satan's attention. But guess what? If he's chasing you, he'll have to let his hands off this other situation. God is just waiting for you. My Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that they were rowing against a wind that was contrary to them, and they were rowing in the boat in the night in the storm in circles. And the Bible says, and Jesus came walking on the water. He looked like a, an angel of light. And the Bible says, and would have passed them by. Well, he saw them in the boat. He saw the storm. He put them in the boat. He's the one who told them to cross the other side, and here he's going to just walk right past me. Yes, he'll walk. If you want to row in circles in the power of your own strength, he will let you. But the Bible says, but they cried out to him. And when they cried out to him, he drew near to them and got in the boat, and he said, peace be still. And guess what happened? You know, our fasting is our way of saying, I'm over here, Lord. I'm inviting you in my circumstance. you got free will, and God will let you work your free will. But when you acknowledge him in all your ways, guess what? God will show up and say, hey, now that you've invited me in, let's see how we can remedy this problem, how we can turn the situation around, and God can speak peace to the storm that's causing you to grow in circles and feel like you're getting nowhere. I want you to get this tonight, that these four lepers left their comfort zone not because they had a promise not because it had a dream not because it had a vision not because they really even believed anything it's because they were hungry when we get down to business and get hungry for the things of God but as long as you're filling your desires with carnal things and carnal pleasures and junk food are you ever going to be hungry when you got home from school and you ran in the house, and the first place you went was the kitchen, and you took the lid off the cookie jar, mom would holler, what? Don't spoil your dinner. Those hollow calories and them chocolate chip cookies is the only thing you can think about on the school bus all the way home. But what's it going to do when it's supper time, when there's real meat and potatoes on the table that would help your bones develop and help you to become more complete and fulfilled and fill out? You're not hungry. But mama fixed your favorite. Well, mama, I know it's my favorite, but I'm not really hungry. Won't you put it in the fridge? Maybe I'll eat it later. And then we go to bed. It's the next day. And now it's leftovers. And ooh, it's leftovers. I don't want. You're laughing. But how many times is a fresh word of bread delivered from the pulpit, but we filled our hearts and our minds with carnal things on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon before church and small group, and we don't get anything out of it because we have not hungered for the word of God and the rule of God. And they got out of their comfort zone. And you know the story. God caused them to find favor, but it was not a vision. It was not an angel from above. It was their sure, sheer hunger that caused them to get out of their comfort zone. I, I believe there's a generation that we're coming upon an edge where people are getting hungry again for revival. They're, they're tired of, of church, religion, or the status quo. They want to see tangible growth and results. I want to be a part of that revival, don't you? Those four guys left what they knew and went into the unknown because they were hungry. I think they had a revelation of this. There's got to be something past where we're at. There's got to be something past hopelessness. There's got to be something past depression. There's got to be something past brokenness. There's got to be something past being an outcast. They let hunger propel them to a place they hadn't been before, but they had hope there was something better. I don't have hope in this life only for a I would be like all men most miserable, but I got a hope that there is an eternal reward for those who have been filled with his righteousness at the trump of God. Those who are filled with his righteousness will be caught up together with Lord. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. We've got a heavenly abode. We've got a mansion prepared for us. Doesn't sound like we're going to be, uh-oh, we got strangers showing up. No, he's been preparing for you. He's got a place 
for you, but it's for those who are hungry to see God rule and reign in their life. Now, go back inside the city. So here's these outcasts, and they're catching the spoils, and they're eating good because God took their little bit of faith. Didn't say they had a revelation, just said they had a desire. And they walked up there, and the Bible says that God magnified or amplified their footsteps, and they thought it was a mighty army. And the enemy ran off, and they had all, hey, look, man. Oh, look at all this good stuff. Ooh, there's nobody there except the spoil, except the benefit. But go back in the city. Things have progressed so bad inside the city that they were eating donkey's heads and doves' droppings, and now they're saying to each other, we'll eat my kid today, and we'll eat your kid tomorrow. Now, how hungry is that? And I hear it right now. I would never do that. Right here, I say I would never do that. But you don't know what you will do when you are extremely. The word the Lord gave me for interpretation of that right there is. Is that when we start consuming things we were never meant to consume. You say how far you will go and what you will do and what you won't do. But when you start consuming things that were never meant to be consumed, never meant to be your hope, never meant to be your peace, never meant to be your joy, never meant to fulfill you, notice what happens. They start turning on each other. I've seen it in families and I've seen it in churches because people have such a void missing. They've not been fulfilled or filled with God's love and mercy. They begin to turn on each other and begin to devour. New Testament is full of application where brother devours brother, sister devours sister. Oh, I don't mean literally eating them and, you know, picking their teeth with the bones, but I mean consuming their character and integrity and beginning to get turned on each other. And that's when our enemy, the devil, wins. You show me a church that's turned against each other, I will show you a church that's quit fasting and quit praying. You know what prayer and fasting does to me? It reminds me how glad I have received his grace and mercy. It doesn't make me feel better than nobody else. It makes me feel like I need to share with somebody else the grace and mercy that God has shared and extended to me. When we fast and pray, we don't look down on each other. We look to each other. We try to help each other. It gives us love and compassion for each other. There's something about overcoming pride and arrogance that the flesh elevates. And when we fast, we put Jesus Christ on the rightful place, the throne of our heart, and he governs us Everybody say, he governs us well. Who governs you better, your flesh or Jesus? Now, we need to take a piece of paper and write on it, put it in our Bible, what we're going to be fasting for, okay? There are people that you have a burden for not another year go by with your family members addicted to drugs and alcohol. I believe prayer and fasting can overcome any addiction. I'm so much for Celebrate Recovery and other 10-step programs, but won't nothing break the shackles of addiction like prayer and fasting. You want me to prove that real quick? Now, Lamentations 4 and 9 says, it's better to die by a sword than to die from hunger. That's how bad being hungry is. But do you remember in Luke chapter 15, there was a young man that got full of himself and said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, son, usually you would get that when I died. He said, well, I don't care. I wish you were dead. I just want, I just want what's mine. And the brokenhearted father gave him his inheritance. And he's, he didn't say, get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. No, he gave it to him, and he was mournful, and the son took it and went off and lived in riotous living. Y'all remember that? Riotous living. And when all his money was gone, all his friends was gone. Remember that? And he is now in the pig pen. Do you understand as an Orthodox Jew that pigs were unclean? They weren't supposed to touch them, let alone eat what they ate. And he's out there living in a place he's never supposed to live. Y'all ever smelt a hog farm? Has Avon ever made a fragrance Odie Day a hog farm? You think that'd be a good perfume? Did you know pigs will eat anything, including each other? Eat anything. They don't discriminate. 
They like the mud. You can wash them. You can shampoo them. You can put conditioner on their, their, their hide. And the first good chance they get, they will go and roll in the mud. They love it. And this guy who had squandered his inheritance is now in the midst of an ungodly environment. Now, when you get home, look it up. Make sure I'm not lying to you, but I know I'm not. Was it the smell of the pig pen that got his attention? Was it the loss of his money that got his attention? Was it the loss of, of temporary friends that got his attention? Was it the mud or being dirty? No. He says, the servants in my father's house have sufficient bread. And here I am what? I'm faint. I'm eating the husk. Do you know what caused him to evaluate his circumstance and leave the pig pen and go back to the father's house? It's because he was hungry. I am telling you that when we fast, I literally believe we get God's attention. And people that said, I'm happy in sin, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and my lifestyle's good enough for me, God can get a hold of them in the pig pen, and he can cause them to be hungry. I don't want to go to church. Let me tell you what, when God gets a hold of somebody, when you've been covering them in prayer and fasting, God can change their desires. He can wash their eyes. He can draw them back to the Father's house. Remember Esau? Esau was just a short distance from his father's house. And his brother came out and said, Are you okay? I'm, I'm about to faint from hunger. And Jacob said, Well, I got this little bowl of soup. I'll trade you your birthright for it. Hunger will make people do things. Do you realize because he allowed himself to get so depleted and so hungry that he sold his inheritance. Let me tell you what, and I've seen people get so hungry to be recognized and satisfied and fulfilled and appreciated, they've sold their heavenly birthright. I don't want to be filled with junk food. I want to be filled, fulfilled, because I have been hungry and thirsty for righteousness. My Bible says if I hunger, he'll fill me. If I have a desire, he will bless me that I may be filled. Let me talk just a minute here about prayer with fasting. How prayer and fasting works. Anybody remember the old-timey rotary phones we used to have? So on this phone, even though it's not the old-timey phone, you got a spot right there that's a microphone that you speak into, right? And then you have a speaker here that you hear the other party on. I'm just going to tell you that prayer and fasting work together kind of like the speaker and the microphone, that we generally get a connection with God through fasting. Okay? We speak to Him through prayer, and I believe most often, not always, but most often, God speaks back to us through his word. That's why I don't have prayer chain. That's why I don't have a season of prayer that I don't bring my Bible with me. Can God speak to my spirit, speak to my mind? Can he speak audibly? Absolutely. Just a, just a few times in my 30 plus years of, of being a spiritual leader have I felt like God almost spoke audibly to me. I, I'm not saying everybody heard it, but I knew I heard what God was telling me to do. It wasn't like I had to even go think about it. Yes, Lord. Because when the Lord really speaks to you, there's one answer. Yay, Lord. Okay. There's been other times that I have felt impressed. But most often, God, I've gone to him in prayer and say, Lord, I need a word. I need direction. I need you to lead me. I need you to prepare me for a path that I'm about to go through that I'm unaware of. But you know, Lord. Do you know how he speaks to me most often? Through the scriptures. I think prayer, fasting, Bible reading all work together to communicate. Is there anything worse than making an important phone call and you're bouncing between cell towers and it gets gorbled and you're getting about every third word? You get enough to know there's a problem, but you're not getting enough to make an informed decision. I'll tell you what, fasting will give you a solid connection 
where you will be able to more clearly hear and understand what God's will for you is. Who in here admits you have struggled knowing what God's will for you is? I will tell you, nothing will cloud your ability to hear more than cares of this world or carnality, and there's nothing better to purge that to unblock the communication than fasting. Now, who in here loves to fast? Got my hand down on that. Do you know why I know it's good for me? Because my flesh don't like it. That's why I... But just because I don't like it don't mean I don't need it. Y'all remember raising them teenagers? <laughs> and, and, they, and they got about as big as you are and you let them go, and you let them go, and you let them go, and there comes that moment that you know it's time to remind them that you brought them in this world, and you can take them out. You may know what I'm talking about. You, you've been letting them try to grow up and try to grow, but sometimes they need correction. Everybody say amen. Children who have not been parented will be adults that nobody wants to be around. God gives children parents for a reason. When we fast, it is the spirit reminding the flesh who's in charge. If the flesh says, I'm not going to fast, then we know who's in charge, right? Prayerfully considering intentionality. Pick a specific thing that God's been dealing with you, something you've struggled with that you want to see God move. Because guess what? Faith is built when God answers your petition. Put a name. Put a situation down. And when you fast, that's what you're going to specifically pray about. Now, I could be talking about a lot of other things. But the power of positive thinking can be taught a lot of places. But nobody's teaching biblical prayer and fashion but the church. And we need it. Remember, the Beatitudes, it was so significant on Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain when he had about 18 minutes. The Sermon on the Mountain is about an 18-minute message. He thought this was important enough to put it way up at the front. And when he's trying to get a lot of big concepts delivered, I am telling you, prayer and fasting is critically important. How do I know? My Bible says Jesus talking to his disciples, they couldn't cast the devil out. And what it was his answer, he says, this takes much prayer and Jesus would let them know prayer and fasting is necessary, but if we do it, it will work. What 10-step didn't do, what rehab didn't do, what therapy didn't do, what a doctor couldn't do, whatever couldn't do, prayer and fasting. Sister Becky, am I right? Prayer and fasting. There are people on these church chairs on Sunday that they are the direct result of prayer and fasting fasting. Amen? Jesus, tonight, I know in our ears to hear, stir our hearts. Let these scriptures begin to ruminate in us, God, and let us begin to consider the power. I know our enemy wants to minimize what prayer and fasting is. He minimizes it because he knows how effective it is when we yield ourselves to your word, your will, and your way. God, you will move. Help us to grow spiritually. Let us be strong in the faith, and let us be obedient servants tonight. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with God.